Chapters 1 through 6 of Book 4 of On the Parts of Animals by Aristotle. Translated by William Ogle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. Chapter 1 The account which has now been given of the viscera, the stomach, and the other several parts of the vivipara holds equally good for the oviparous quadrupeds and also for such apodous animals as the serpents these two classes of animals are indeed nearly akin a serpent resembling a lizard which has been lengthened out and deprived of its feet fishes again resemble these two groups in all their parts excepting that while these being land animals have a lung fishes have no lung but gills in its place of all these animals including the fishes none excepting the tortoise has an urinary bladder for owing to the bloodlessness of their lung they drink but little and such moisture as they have is converted into scales as in birds it is converted into feathers and so they come to have the same white matter on the surface of their excretions as we see on those of birds for even in animals that have a bladder if the excretion when voided be placed in a vessel it will throw down a deposit of earthy brine for the sweet and fresh elements being light are expended on the flesh among the serpents the same peculiarity attaches to vipers as among the fishes attaches to the selachia for both these and vipers are externally viviparous but previously produce ova internally the stomach in all these animals is single just as it is single in all other animals that have teeth in front of both jaws and their viscera are excessively small as always happens when there is no bladder in serpents these viscera are moreover differently shaped from what they are in other animals for a serpent's body being long and narrow its contents are as it were moulded into a similar form and thus come to be themselves elongated all animals that have blood possess an omentum a mesentery an intestine with its appendages and moreover a diaphragm and a heart and all excepting fishes a lung and a trachea the relative positions moreover of the windpipe and the esophagus are precisely similar in them all and the reason is the same as has already been given chapter two almost all sanguineous animals have a gallbladder in some this is attached to the liver in others separated from that organ and attached to the intestines being apparently in the latter case no less than in the former an appendage of the lower stomach it is in fishes that this is most clearly seen for all fishes have a gallbladder 
and in most of them it is attached to the intestine, being in some, as in the amia, united with this like a border along its whole length. It is similarly placed in most serpents. There are therefore no good grounds for the view entertained by some writers that the use of the gallbladder is to give rise to certain sensations. They say that its final cause is to affect that part of the soul which is lodged in the neighborhood of the liver, and that it induces a gloomy or a cheerful disposition according as it irritates this or leaves it alone. But this cannot be. For in some animals there is absolutely no gallbladder at all. In the horse, for instance, the mule, the ass, the deer, and the roe, and in others, as the camel, there is no distinct bladder, but merely small vessels that bear some resemblance to one. Again, there is no such organ in the seal, nor of sea animals in the dolphin. Even within the limits of the same genus, some animals appear to have, and others to be without it. Such, for instance, is the case with mice, such also with man. For in some individuals there is apparently a gallbladder attached to the liver, and in others none at all. This explains how the existence of this part in the whole genus has been a matter of dispute. For each observer, according as he has found it present or absent in the individual cases he has examined, has supposed it to be present or absent in the whole genus. The same has occurred in the case of sheep and of goats, for these animals usually have a gallbladder. But while in some it is so enormously big as to appear a monstrosity, as is the case in Naxos, in other instances it is altogether wanting, as is the case in a certain district of Chalcis in Euboea. Another fact which shows that the opinion of these writers is erroneous is that the gallbladder in fishes is separated, as already mentioned, by a considerable interval from the liver. No less mistaken seems to be the opinion of Anaxagoras and his followers that the gallbladder is the cause of acute diseases, inasmuch as it becomes overfull, and spurts out its excess into the lung the blood vessels, and the chest. For almost invariably those who suffer from these acute forms of disease are persons who have no gallbladder at all, and were they to be dissected this fact would be quite evident. Moreover, there is no kind of correspondence between the amount of bile which is present in these diseases and the amount which is exuded. The most probable opinion is that as the bile, when it exists in any other part of the body, is a mere residuum or a product of decay, so also, when it exists in the region of the liver, it is equally excremental and has no further use, just as is the case with the dejections of the stomach and intestines. For though even the residua are occasionally used by nature for some useful purpose, Yet, 
we must not in all cases expect to find such a final cause for granted the existence in the body of this or that constituent with such and such properties many results must ensue merely as necessary consequences of these properties all animals then whose liver is healthy in composition and supplied with none but sweet blood are either entirely without a gallbladder or have merely bile containing ducts or are some with and some without such parts thus it is that the liver in animals that have no gallbladder is as a rule of good colour and sweet and that when there is a gallbladder that part of the liver is sweetest which lies immediately underneath it but when animals are formed of blood less pure in composition the bile serves for the excretion of its impure residue for the very meaning of residuum is that it is the opposite of nutriment and of bitter that it is the opposite of sweet and sweet blood it is which alone is nutritious so that it is evident that the bile which is bitter cannot have any useful end but must simply be a purifying excretion it was therefore no bad saying of old writers that the absence of a gallbladder gave long life in so saying they had in mind deer and animals with uncloven hoofs for such have no gallbladder and live long but besides these there are other animals that have no gallbladder though those old writers were not aware of the fact such as the camel and the dolphin and these also are as it happens long lived seeing indeed that the liver is not only useful but absolutely necessary to all animals that have blood it is but reasonable that on its character should depend the length or the shortness of life nor less reasonable is it that this organ and none other should have such an excretion as the bile for the heart unable as it is to stand any violent affection would be utterly intolerant of the proximity of such a fluid and as to the rest of the viscera none excepting the liver are necessary parts of an animal in conclusion wherever we see bile we must take it to be residual or excremental for to suppose that it has one character in this part another in that would be as great an absurdity as to suppose mucus or the dejections of the stomach to vary in character according to locality and not to be excremental wherever found chapter three so much then of the gallbladder and of the reasons why some animals have one while others have not we have next to speak of the mesentery and the omentum for these are contained in the same cavity as the parts already described the omentum then is a membrane containing fat the fat being suet or lard according as the fat of the animal generally is of the former or latter description what kinds of animals are so distinguished 
has been already set forth in an earlier part of this treatise this membrane alike in animals that have a single and in those that have a multiple stomach grows from the middle of that organ along a line which is marked on it like a seam thus attached it covers the rest of the stomach and the greater part of the bowels it is found in all sanguineous animals whether they live on land or in water now the development of this part into such a form as has been described is the result of necessity for whenever solid and fluid are mixed together and heated the surface invariably becomes membranous and skin-like but the region in which the omentum lies is full of nutriment of such a mixed character moreover in consequence of the thickness of the membrane that portion of the sanguineous nutriment will alone filter into it which is of a greasy character for this portion is composed of the finest particles and when it has so filtered in it will be concocted by the heat of the part and will be converted into suet or lard and will not acquire a flesh-like or sanguineous constitution the development then of the omentum is simply the result of necessity but when once formed it is used by nature for an end namely to facilitate and to hasten the concoction of food for all that is hot aids concoction and fat is hot and the omentum is fat this too explains why it hangs from the middle of the stomach for the upper part of the stomach has no need of it being assisted in concoction by the neighbouring liver thus much as concerns the omentum chapter four the so-called mesentery is also a membrane and stretches from the intestines in their whole extent to the great vessel and the aorta in it are numerous and close-packed vessels which run from the intestines into the great vessel and into the aorta the formation of this membrane we shall find to be the result of necessity as is that of the other parts what however is the final cause of its existence in sanguineous animals is manifest on reflection for it is necessary that animals shall get nutriment from without and again that this shall be converted into the ultimate nutriment which is then distributed as sustenance to the various parts this ultimate nutriment being in sanguineous animals what we call blood and having in exsanguineous animals no definite name this being so there must be channels through which the nutriment shall pass as it were through roots from the stomach into the blood vessels now the roots of plants are in the ground for thence their nutriment is derived but in animals the stomach and intestines represent the ground from which the nutriment is to be taken the mesentery then is an organ to contain the roots and these roots are the vessels that traverse it this then is the final cause of its existence but how it absorbs nutriment 
and how that portion of the food which enters into the vessels is distributed by them to the various parts of the body are questions which will be considered when we come to deal with the generation and nutrition of animals the constitution of sanguineous animals so far as the parts as yet mentioned are concerned and the reasons for such constitution have now been set forth in natural sequence we should next go on to the organs of generation as yet undescribed on which depend the distinctions of male and female but inasmuch as we shall have to deal specially with generation and development hereafter it will be more convenient to defer the consideration of these parts to that occasion chapter five very different from the animals we have as yet considered are the cephalopods and the crustacea for these have absolutely no viscera whatsoever as indeed is the case with all exsanguineous animals in which are included two other genera namely the testacea and the insects for in none of them does the material out of which viscera are formed exist none of them that is have blood the cause of this lies in their essential constitution for the presence of blood in some animals its absence from others will be included in the conception which determines their respective essences moreover in the animals we are now considering none of those final causes will be found to exist which in sanguineous animals determine the presence of viscera for they have no blood vessels nor urinary bladder nor do they breathe all in fact that it is necessary for them to have is some organ which shall be analogous to a heart for in all animals there must be some central and commanding part of the body to lodge the sensory portion of the soul and the source of life they must of course also all have the organs of nutrition and a diversity of character exists among them depending on differences of these receptacles of food in the cephalopods there are two teeth enclosing what is called the mouth and inside this mouth is a fleshy substance which represents a tongue and serves for the discrimination of pleasant and unpleasant food the crustacea have teeth corresponding to those of the cephalopods namely their anterior teeth and also have the fleshy representative of a tongue this latter part is found moreover in all testacea and serves as in sanguineous animals for gustatory sensations similarly provided also are the insects for some of these such as the bees and the flies have as already described a proboscis protruding from the mouth while others that have no such piercing instrument in front have a part which acts as a tongue inside the mouth such for instance is the case in the ants and the like as for teeth some insects have them 
the bees and the flies for instance though in a somewhat modified form while others that live on fluid nutriment are without them for in many insects the teeth are not organs of mastication but weapons of defence in some testacea as was said in the first treatise the organ which is called the tongue is of considerable strength and in one kind namely the sea snails in addition to the tongue there are two teeth resembling those of the crustacea the mouth in the cephalopods is succeeded by a long gullet this leads to a crop like that of a bird directly continuous with this is the stomach from which a gut runs without windings to the vent the sepias and the pulps resemble each other completely so far as regards the shape and consistency of these parts but not so the calamaries here as in the other groups there are two stomach-like receptacles but the first of these cavities has less resemblance to a crop and in neither is the form or the consistency the same as in the other kinds the whole animal indeed being made of a softer kind of flesh the object of this arrangement of the parts in question is the same in the cephalopods as in birds for in neither of these groups is the mouth suited for mastication and therefore it is that a crop precedes their stomach for purposes of defence and to enable them to escape from their foes the cephalopods have what is called an ink-bag attached to their body this is a membranous pouch which is provided with a terminal outlet just at the point where what is termed the funnel gives out to the residua of the stomach this funnel is placed on the ventral surface of the animal all cephalopods alike have this characteristic ink-bag but chief of all the sepia where it is of greater size than in the rest when the animal is disturbed and frightened it uses the ink to make the surrounding water black and turbid and so as it were puts a shield in front of its body in the calamaries and the pulps the ink-bag is placed in the upper part of the body in close proximity to the mitis whereas in the sepia it is much lower down against the stomach for the sepia has a larger ink-bag than the rest owing to its making more use of it the reasons for this are firstly that it lives near the shore and secondly that it has no other means of protection whereas the pulp has twinning feet that it can use in its defence and is moreover endowed with the power of changing its colour this changing of colour like the discharge of ink occurs as the result of fright as to the calamari it lives far out at sea being the only one of the cephalopods that does so and this gives it protection these then are the reasons why the ink-bag is much larger in the sepia than in the other cephalopods 
and its larger size again explains its lower position for though this position removes it further from the funnel yet the larger size of the bag gives increased force and so allows the ink to be ejected with ease even from a distance the ink itself is of an earthy character in this resembling the white deposit on the surface of a bird's excrement and the explanation in both cases is the same namely the absence of a urinary bladder for in default of this it is the ink that serves for the excretion of the earthy matter and this is more especially the case in the sepia because there is a greater proportion of earth in its composition than in that of the other cephalopods the earthy character of its bone is a clear proof of this for in the pulp there is no bone at all and in the calamari it is small and merely cartilaginous why this bone should be present in some cephalopods and wanting in others and how its character varies in those that have it has now been set forth these animals having no blood are in consequence cold and of a timid character now in some animals fear causes an evacuation from the bowels and in others a flow of urine from the bladder similarly in these it produces a discharge of ink and though this ink like the urine is residual matter and though its ejection in fright is merely the result of necessity yet it is used by nature for a purpose namely the protection and safety of the animal that excretes it the crustacea also both the caraboid forms and the crabs are provided with teeth namely the two so-called anterior teeth and between these they also present the tongue-like piece of flesh as has indeed been already mentioned directly after their mouth comes a gullet which is very small considering the size of the whole body and then a stomach which in the carabi and some of the crabs is furnished with a second set of teeth the anterior set being insufficient for mastication from the stomach an unconvoluted gut runs in a direct line to the vent the parts described are to be found also in all the various testacea the degree of distinctness however with which they are formed varies much in the different kinds and the larger the size of the animal the more easily distinguishable are all these parts severally in the sea snails for example we find teeth hard and sharp as before mentioned and between them a fleshy substance like the tongue of crustacea and cephalopods and again a proboscis which has already been described as something between a piercing instrument and a tongue directly after the mouth comes a kind of bird-like crop then a gullet and continuous with this a stomach in which is the mecon as it is styled and this mecon in turn gives rise to an intestine starting directly from it it is the excretion of this mecon which appears in all the testacea to form the most palatable morsel
purpurae and whelks and all other testacea that have turbinated shells in structure resemble the sea snail the genera and species of testacea are very numerous there are those with turbinated shells of which some have just been mentioned and besides these there are bivalves and univalves those with turbinated shells may indeed after a certain fashion be said to resemble bivalves for they all from their very birth have a covering to protect that part of their body which would otherwise be exposed this is the case with the purpurae with whelks with the nerites and all the like were it not for this the part which is undefended by the shell would be very liable to injury from without the univalves also are not without protection for on their dorsal surface they have a shell and by the under surface they attach themselves to the rocks and so after a manner may be said to become bivalved the rock representing the second valve of these the animals known as limpets are an example the bivalves scallops and mussels for instance are protected by the power they have of closing their valves and the turbinated genera by the operculum just mentioned which transforms them as it were from univalves into bivalves but of all there is none so perfectly protected as the echinus for here there is a globular shell which encloses the body completely and which is moreover set with sharp spines this peculiarity distinguishes the echinus from all other testacea as has already been mentioned the structure of the testacea and of the crustacea is exactly the reverse of that of the cephalopods for in the latter the fleshy substance is on the outside and the earthy substance within whereas in the former the soft parts are inside and the hard part without in the echinus however there is no fleshy part whatsoever all the testacea then those that have not been mentioned as well as those that have agree as stated in possessing a mouth with the tongue-like body a stomach and a vent but they differ from each other in the positions and proportions of these parts the details however of these differences must be looked for in the researches concerning animals and the treatises on anatomy for while there are some points which can be made clear by verbal description there are others which are more suited for ocular demonstration peculiar among the testacea are the echini and the animals known as ascidians the echini have five teeth and in the centre of these the fleshy body which is common to all the animals we have been discussing immediately after this comes a gullet and then a stomach divided into a number of separate compartments which look like so many distinct stomachs for the cavities are separate and each contains residual matter 
they are all however connected with one and the same esophagus and they all end in one and the same vent there is nothing with the exception of the stomach of a fleshy character as has already been stated all that can be seen are the so-called ova of which there are several contained each in a separate membrane and certain black bodies which have got no name and which beginning at the animal's mouth are scattered round its body here and there profusely of these echini there are many different species and in all of them the parts mentioned are to be found it is not however in every kind that the so-called ova are edible neither do these attain to any size in any other species than those which are found in shallow water a similar distinction may be made generally in the case of all testacea for there is a great difference in the edible qualities of the flesh of different kinds and in some moreover the residual substance known as the mechon is good for food while in others it is uneatable this mechon in the turbinated genera is lodged in the spiral part of the shell while in univalves such as limpets it occupies the apex and in bivalves is placed near the hinge in these bivalves the so-called ovum lies on the right while on the opposite side is the vent the former is incorrectly termed ovum for it merely corresponds to what in well-fed sanguineous animals is fat and thus it is that it only makes its appearance in testacea at those seasons of the year when they are in good condition namely spring and autumn for no testacea can abide extremes of temperature and they are therefore in evil plight in winter and in summer this is clearly shown by what occurs in the case of the echini for though the ova are to be found in these animals even directly they are born yet they acquire a much greater size than usual at the time of full moon not as some think because the echini eat more at that season but because the nights are then warmer owing to the moonlight for these creatures are bloodless and so are unable to stand cold and require warmth therefore it is that they are found in better condition in summer than at any other season and this all over the world excepting in the pyrian tidal strait there the echini flourish as well in winter as in summer but the reason for this is that they have a greater abundance of food in the winter because the fish desert the strait at that season the number of the ova is the same in all echini and is an odd one there are in fact five ova just as there are also five teeth and five stomachs and the explanation of this is to be found in the fact that the so-called ova are not really ova but merely as was said before the result of the animal's well-fed condition oysters also have an ovum corresponding in character to that of the echini but existing only on one side of their body 
now inasmuch as the echinus is of a spherical form and not merely a single disc like the oyster and in virtue of its spherical shape is the same from whatever side it be examined it follows as a necessary consequence that its ovum must be of a corresponding symmetry for the spherical shape has not the asymmetry of the disc-shaped body of the oysters for though the head in all of these is central yet their ovum is on one side namely the upper now the necessary symmetry would be observed were the ovum to form a continuous ring but this may not be for it would be in opposition to what prevails in the whole tribe of testacea for in all the ovum is discontinuous and in all excepting the echini asymmetrical being placed only on one side of the body owing then to this necessary discontinuity of the ovum which belongs to the echinus as a member of the class and owing to the spherical shape of the body which is its individual peculiarity this animal cannot possibly have an even number of ova for were they in even number they would have to be arranged exactly opposite to each other in pairs so as to keep the necessary symmetry one ovum of each pair being placed at one end the other ovum at the other end of a transverse diameter this again would violate the universal provision in testacea for both in the oysters and in the scallops we find the ovum only on one side of the circumference the number then of the ova must be an uneven one three for instance or five but if there were only three they would be much too far apart while if there were more than five they would come to form a continuous mass the former arrangement would be disadvantageous to the animal the latter an impossibility there can therefore be neither more nor less than five for the same reason the stomach is divided into five parts and there is a corresponding number of teeth for seeing that the ova represent each of them a kind of body for the animal from which the materials for growth are derived there must be a conformity between them and the general configuration of the vital organs now if there were only one stomach this conformity would be wanting for either the ova would be too far off from the stomach or the stomach would be so big as to fill up the whole cavity and the echinus would have great difficulty in moving about and finding due nourishment for its repletion as then there are five intervals between the five ova so are there of necessity five divisions of the stomach one for each interval so also and on like grounds there are five teeth for by this arrangement nature is enabled to allot to each stomachal compartment and ovum its separate and similar tooth these then are the reasons why the number of ova in the echinus is an odd one and why that odd number is five in some echini the ova are excessively small 
in others of considerable size the explanation being that the latter are of a warmer constitution and so are able to concoct their food more thoroughly while in the former concoction is less perfect so that the stomach is found full of residual matter while the ova are small and uneatable those of a warmer constitution are moreover in virtue of their warmth more given to motion so that they make expeditions in search of food instead of remaining stationary like the rest in proof of this it will be found that they always have something or other sticking to their spines which they use as feet in their frequent ramblings the ascidians differ but slightly from plants and yet have more of an animal nature than the sponges which are in fact virtually plants and nothing more for nature passes from lifeless objects to animals in such unbroken sequence interposing between them beings which live and yet are not animals that scarcely any difference seems to exist between two neighbouring classes owing to their close proximity a sponge then as already said in these respects completely resembles a plant that throughout its life it is attached to a rock and that when separated from this it dies slightly different from the sponges are the so-called holothuri and the sea lungs as also sundry other sea animals that resemble them for these are free and unattached yet have they no feeling and their life is simply that of a plant separated from the ground for even among land plants there are some that are independent of the soil and that spring up and grow either parasitically upon other plants or even entirely free such for example is the plant which is found on parnassus and which some call the epipetrum this you may take up and hang from the rafters and it will yet live for a considerable time sometimes it is a matter of doubt whether a given organism should be classed with plants or with animals the ascidians for instance and the like so far resemble plants as that they never live free and unattached but on the other hand inasmuch as they have a certain flesh-like substance they must be supposed to possess some degree of sensibility in the ascidians there are two orifices and a single septum which latter separates the part into which the animal takes the fluid that ministers to its nutrition from the part by which it again discharges the superfluity of moisture for it appears to have no distinct residual matter such as have the other testacea this is itself a very strong justification for considering an ascidian and anything else there may be among animals that resemble it to be of a vegetable character for plants also never have any residuum finally there runs across the middle of the body of these ascidians a thin partition and here it is that we may reasonably suppose the part on which life depends to be situated the animals which some call sea nettles and others achelify are not testacea at all 
nor included in their divisions their constitution approximates them on the one side to plants on the other to animals for seeing that some of them can detach themselves and can seize hold of their food and that they are sensible of objects which come in contact with them they must be considered to have an animal nature the like conclusion follows from their using the roughness of their bodies as a protection against their enemies but on the other hand they are closely allied to plants firstly by the imperfection of their structure secondly by their being able to attach themselves to the rocks with great rapidity and lastly by their having no visible residuum notwithstanding that they possess a mouth very similar again to the achelephi are the starfishes for these also seize hold of their prey and suck out its juices and thus destroy a vast number of oysters at the same time they present a certain resemblance to such animals as the cephalopods and crustacea inasmuch as they are free and unattached the same may also be said of the testacea such then is the structure of the parts that minister to nutrition and which every animal must necessarily possess but besides these organs it is quite plain that in every animal there must be some part or other which shall be analogous to what in sanguineous animals is the presiding seat of sensation whether an animal has or has not blood it cannot possibly be without this in the cephalopods this part consists of a membrane containing fluid through which runs the gullet on its way to the stomach it lies rather towards the dorsal surface of the animal and is by some called the mitis just such another organ is found in the crustacea and is known in them also by the same name this part is formed by a combination of fluid and solid and is as before said traversed by the gullet for had the gullet been placed farther back between the mitis and the dorsal surface of the animal the hardness of the back would have interfered with its due dilation in the act of deglutition on the outer surface of the mitis runs the intestine and in contact with this latter is the ink bag which is thus removed as far as possible from the mouth while a considerable interval divides its irritating fluid from the nobler and sovereign parts the position of the mitis shows that it corresponds to the heart of sanguineous animals for it occupies the self-same place the same is proved by the sweetness of its fluid which has the character of concocted matter and resembles blood in the testacea the presiding seat of sensation is in a corresponding position but is less easily made out it should however always be looked for in the following situations in such testacea as are stationary between the gullet and the channel through which either the excrement or the spermatic fluid is voided but in those species which are capable of locomotion invariably in the centre 
midway that is between the right and left sides in insects this important organ lies as was stated in the first treatise between the head and the cavity which contains the stomach in most of them it consists of a single part but in others for instance in such as have long bodies and resemble the uli it is made up of several parts so that such insects continue to live after they have been cut into pieces for the aim of nature is to give each animal only one such governing part and when she is unable to carry out this intention she causes the parts though potentially many to work together actually as one the phenomenon referred to is much more clearly marked in some insects than in others the parts concerned in nutrition are not alike in all insects but show a considerable diversity thus some have what is called a piercer in their mouths which is a kind of compound instrument that combines in itself the character of a tongue and of lips in others that have not got this anterior piercer there is an organ inside the mouth that answers the same sensory purposes after the mouth comes the intestine which is never wanting in any insect this runs in a straight line and without further complication to the vent occasionally however it has a spiral coil there are moreover some insects in which a stomach succeeds to the mouth and is itself succeeded by a convoluted intestine by this arrangement the larger and more voracious insects are enabled to take in a more abundant supply of food more curious than any are the cicada for here the mouth and the tongue are united so as to form a single part through which as through a root the fluids on which the creature lives are sucked up insects are always small eaters not so much because of their diminutive size as because of their cold temperament for it is heat which requires sustenance just as it is heat which speedily concocts it but cold neither requires sustenance nor concocts it in no insects is this more evident than in these cicada for they find enough to live on in the moisture which is deposited from the air so also do the ephemera found about the black sea but while these latter only live for a single day the cicada subsist on such food for several days though still not many we have now done with the internal parts of animals and must return to the consideration of such external parts as have not yet been described it will be better to begin with the animals we have just been describing that is with the bloodless animals so that we may not be hampered with them hereafter but may be free to deal leisurely with the more perfect kinds of animals those namely that have blood chapter six we will begin with insects these animals though they consist of but few parts are yet not without diversities when compared with each other 
they are all many-footed the object of this being to compensate their natural slowness and frigidity and to give greater activity to their motions accordingly we find that those which as the uli have long bodies and are therefore the most liable to refrigeration have also the greatest number of feet again in all insects the body is made up of segments the reason for this being that in these animals there is no one supreme and sovereign part but several and the number of feet corresponds to the number of segments should the feet fall short of this their deficiency is supplied by the presence of feathers of such feathered insects some live a wandering life and are forced to make long expeditions in search of food these have a body of light weight and four feathers two on either side to support it such are bees and other insects akin to them when however such insects are of very small bulk their feathers are reduced to two as is the case with flies even insects of squarer build and of stationary habits of life yet come to have as many feathers in all as have bees for they have shards which protect the acting feathers from injury such are the melilonthi and the like for their stationary habits expose them to much greater risks than are run by those insects that are more constantly in flight and on this account they are provided with this protecting shield the feather of an insect has neither barbs nor shaft for though it is called a feather it is no feather at all but merely a skin-like membrane that owing to its dryness necessarily becomes detached from the surface of the fleshy body the body of an insect is made of segments not only for the reasons already assigned but also to enable it to bend in such a manner as may protect it from injury for such insects as have long bodies can roll themselves up which would have been impossible had they not been formed of segments and even those which cannot do this can yet draw their segments closer together and so increase the hardness of their bodies this can be felt quite plainly by putting the finger on any of the insects known as canthari the touch frightens the insect and it remains perfectly motionless while its body is felt to become harder than before the division then of the body into segments has this final cause but it is also a necessary result of there being several supreme organs in place of one and this again is a part of the essential constitution of insects and is a character which approximates them to plants for as plants though cut into pieces still live so also do insects there is however this difference between the two cases that the portions of the divided insect live for a very short space whereas the portions of the plant live on and attain the perfect form of the whole 
so that from one single plant you may obtain two or more. Some insects are also provided with another means of protection against their enemies, namely a piercer or sting. In some this is in front, connected with the tongue, in others behind, and connected with the tail. For just as the organ of smell in elephants answers several uses, serving alike for purposes of nutrition and for purposes of defence, so also does the lingual arrangement in some insects answer more than one end. For it is the instrument through which they derive their sensations of food, as well as that with which they suck it up and bring it to their mouths and when no such anterior piercer or sting exists the mouth is furnished with teeth which so far supply its place as to serve either for the mastication of food or for its prehension and conveyance to the mouth they serve this latter use for instance in ants and in all the various kinds of bees as for a tail sting nature has given it to such insects as are of a fierce disposition and to no others sometimes this instrument is lodged inside the body as in bees and wasps this is a necessary consequence of their being made for flight for were their piercer or sting external and of delicate make it would very easily get spoiled if on the other hand still being external it were of stouter build as in scorpions its weight would interfere with flight as for scorpions they never rise from the ground and their piercer or sting must therefore be arranged in the way it is as otherwise it would be of no use as a weapon the diptera never have a tail sting for the very reason of their being dipterous is that they are small and weak and therefore require no more than two feathers to support their light weight and the same reason which reduces their feathers to two causes their piercer or sting to be in front for their strength is not sufficient to allow them to strike efficiently with the hinder part of their body polypterous insects on the other hand are of greater bulk indeed it is this which causes them to have so many feathers and their greater size makes them much stronger in their hinder parts these insects therefore have tail stings for it is better when possible that one and the same instrument shall not be made to serve several dissimilar uses but that there shall be one organ to serve as a weapon which can then be very sharp and a second distinct one to serve as a tongue which can then be of spongy texture and fit to absorb nutriment whenever therefore nature is able to provide two separate instruments for two separate uses without the one hampering the other she does so instead of acting like a coppersmith who for cheapness makes a spit and lamp-holder in one. It is only when this is impossible that she uses one organ for several functions. 
the anterior legs are in some cases longer than the others, that they may serve to clean off the dust or other matter which may fall into the insect's eyes and obstruct its sight, which already is not very distinct owing to the eyes being made of a hard substance. Flies and bees and the like may be constantly seen thus dressing themselves with crossed forelegs. Of the other legs, the hinder are bigger than the middle pair, both to aid in running, and also that the insect, when it takes flight, may spring more easily from the ground. This difference is still more marked in such insects as leap, in grasshoppers, for instance, and in the various kinds of fleas. For these first bend and then extend the legs, and by so doing are necessarily shot up from the ground. It is only the hind legs of grasshoppers, and never the front ones, that resemble the two long stern oars by which a ship is steered. For it is essential that the joint shall be bent inwards, and this never occurs in the anterior limbs. The whole number of legs, including those used in leaping, is six, in all these insects. End of chapter 6 of book 4